Welcome to the first episode of Stories to Run To. My name is Kyle. The idea for this podcast came from a lifelong desire to combine music and stories. I love listening to music while I run, but I also love listening to audiobooks. Unfortunately, audiobooks just don't have that drive to keep you going. So I decided to combine the two, and thus I've made Stories to Run To. The theme of this episode is the differences that come from living in a new country. All the stories were written in the first few weeks of living in Colombia with my partner, Vey. I hope that they entertain and keep you moving. The view from my apartment. It started innocently enough. The little thrill one gets from watching someone unaware. He was maybe 50 and sweeping his grass. It took me a minute to realize the strangeness of this. He was sweeping his grass. The whole patch was about the size of a coffin, and he was making sure to cover every inch of it. When he had finished, I watched in fascination as he carefully navigated the resulting pile of dirt and papers down the curb, around a shrub, and onto the street, inches from the stream of taxis and trucks streaming by. At this stage, I figured a vein may like to join the fun. She was sitting at the table doing something productive. Ave, you've got to come watch this guy sweep his yard. She didn't respond, but since she hadn't actually declined, I decided to narrate the man's adventures for her. Okay, Ave, there's this guy across the street, and he swept up a huge pile of dirt and for some reason moved it onto the road. Now he's standing motionless, staring down at the pile. Maybe he's trying to memorize... My voice cut off as the man, without warning, took his broom and started sweeping the leaves off of his shrubbery. He's sweeping his shrub! I looked back at Ave, who somehow had managed to resist joining. Seriously, this is not something you see every day. Finished with his enigmatic task, the man again looked down at his pile. I was looking forward to watching him scoop it up and throw it away. A bit of vicarious pleasure. Instead, the man walked around the shrub and up to the door of his house, laboriously unlocked it, and put the broom inside. I think he's getting his dustpan, I said. But then he emerged from his house with a mop in his hand. Wait a minute, he's grabbed a mop. I couldn't believe this twist. He proceeded to shake it a few times, and then he started mopping his small driveway. Ave, I am serious. This is getting crazy. Finished with that task, he entered the house again, emerging a moment later with nothing. I can't believe it, but I think he's going to leave his big pile of garbage in the middle of the street, I narrated to Ave in disbelief. Not only was this shockingly disrespectful to the neighborhood, it also felt like a violation of our watcher-watched relationship. He fumbled a key from his pocket and locked the main door of his house. Then he swung closed a big gate that most houses here in Colombia have. He locked that too, stared at the house for a moment, and then walked away. Ave, he's not going to sweep it up. Amazingly, she did not join me in this drama. Wait, wait Ave, he's going back. Sure enough, he turned back and was now standing outside the door to his house. I'm not sure what he's doing. The man was just staring at the door. He took out his key and relocked both of the doors, reaching through the bars to check that the first was locked. 
Then he shook both the doors again multiple times to make sure that they wouldn't open by Vigor's shaking. Okay, he's leaving now. He turned away and made it to the sidewalk. Then, as if connected by a giant rubber band, swung around and back to the door. Wait, he went back again. This happened five or six times. The man continued to almost get away before coming back to make sure the door was really locked. There's something up with this guy, I told Ave. I think he might have OCD. Finally, the man just stopped and stared at the door. He stayed this way for a full minute, not moving a muscle. Then, he started moving his head side to side, as if looking from doorknob to doorknob. He's swaying like a charmed cobra. He's just standing in front of the door swaying. By now, I was enraptured. The man had broken all narrative structure with his unpredictability, and I was hooked. I turned to Ove. Seriously, you have got to at least come see this part. It is bizarre. She didn't look up from her work, but I suppose some people have better taste than others. I began to sway like the man below, replicating the figure eight movement of his head, trying to understand what was going on inside of him. Then without warning, he stopped. He tried both doors one last time, both were still locked, and he walked away. He's actually leaving this time. I watched him get it to the sidewalk, and he glanced back, but then he continued. Yep, he made it away. It's the furthest I've seen him go. I watched him until he disappeared down the street. And he's gone. Wow. Ave had missed the whole thing. I looked at the stage of the mysterious play for one. The pile of garbage still sat on the street, unscooped, unfinished. A lady walked out of the neighboring house and swept her driveway, but it wasn't the same. So soon I went back to my room to try and be productive. The Colombian Swimming Pool There has emerged a trend in our living in Colombia. First, we discover some facet of daily life that seems incredible. Free bicycle rentals all over the city, free swimming every day, and half-price metro rides are just a few of the examples. Then, we go and try to use one of the aforementioned luxuries, only to be refused in unapologetic Spanish. Every other Spanish person in the country has been great at slowing down their speech, patiently using simple words to get their message across. Not so for the public service people. Our interactions with them have all ended with us walking away bewildered. What follows this is the research period. We scour the internet for information, interrogate anyone who speaks English, and wait until the time is right. The bikes and metro turned out to be relatively simple. We can now get anywhere in this sprawling city for almost nothing. The swimming pool, however, proved a little tougher. Our first attempt was disheartening. After struggling in the lobby, we were finally admitted by giving a sour-faced man 8,000 pesos each, which is about $4. We changed and were looking at the oasis-like pool when the same sour-faced man literally jumped in front of me and the water. He spouted some rapid Spanish and pointed down at my bathing suit, then jabbed his finger up at my head. Okay, what's the matter? Everyone else seemed to be getting into the water without being accosted. I asked him to speak a little slower. He didn't. I looked around for someone who spoke even a few words of English. Luckily, a friend who had helped us through the lobby came to my aid. 
He says you have the wrong bathing suit and also need a swim cap. I looked around the pool. It was true, everyone was wearing a swim cap and a speedo. In fact, most people had full body speedos and caps that covered their entire face. This is apparently to protect them from the sun, but mostly it makes them look like robbers rehearsing an elaborate water-based heist. I turned to my friend. Can you ask him where I can get a suit like that? They found out that there was a place just across the street, presumably placed there due to the large number of people who run into this exact problem. I thanked them, apologized to the sour man, and changed back into my clothes. The next challenge was getting my money back from the sour man. He steadfastly refused to understand, though I'm sure I was saying the right things. After a few minutes, it started to feel a little bit ridiculous, so I called my friend in from the pool. They said the exact same thing I did, and he handed over my money, grumbling a little bit. The swimsuit store ended up to be closed. I wrote the day off as a good attempt and decided to try another time. A few days later, we returned. We came prepared with all the information we could muster. I had my tiny little speedo on under my shorts. Our swim caps were clenched in hand. We were ready. I walked up to the window. The sour-faced man looked up at me. Hello, can we use the pool? I asked in Spanish. 8,000 pesos, he said. Whoa, whoa, whoa. By this time, I brought two Spanish speakers down there and confirmed beyond a shadow of a doubt that the swimming was free. My lips tightened into a hard line. Um, I think it's free today. He looked up and gave me his best, I just ate a lemon face. See. He then begrudgingly waved over to a smaller desk set up in a corner. Inside, I cheered wildly. I had bested my new nemesis and it felt so, so good. We'd missed the desk because it was unmanned, but soon enough, the lady returned and we were admitted into the pool. I walked to the water, feeling bigger than life in my speedo, and was about to jump in when some woman walked up and stood again in front of me in the water. No aquí. She said a bunch more in Spanish while waving her hand as if trying to fan me away. Um, por qué? Why? This question has yet to do me any good in Colombia. The woman said a whole bunch in Spanish, and eventually I just left, walking as far away from her as possible. I found a lane in which a couple people were leisurely swimming laps and joined them. Suddenly I heard a shrill, wheezing noise, like someone choking on a whistle. I surfaced to see the sour-faced man, who had been whistling, pointing at me and gibbering in Spanish. I understood. I was in the wrong lane. I pushed myself from the water. Donde? Where in the world do you want me to go? He pointed to the next lane, which was so full of people the water was hardly visible. I considered asking why, but I figured it wouldn't help my cause. Doing lengths in the lane I ended up in was the water equivalent of doing lunges across a busy freeway. Most Colombians, at this pool anyways, have a unique style of swimming where they do it horribly. Wide splayed arms, thrashing kicks, a desperate breathing technique that you can hear underwater, they are not the greatest swimming partners. I decided to call it quits when a woman on a pool noodle started floating haphazardly through the lanes. Meanwhile, Ave had been over in the shallow end, working through her teach yourself to swim course. Her first lesson was the torpedo. 
though it was really just floating face first. She got really good at this, hopping slightly forward so that she drifted along the top like a boiled hot dog. I helped by pushing her feet, causing her to go a little faster, though not anywhere near what I would classify as torpedo speed. By the end of the day, she could superman, which was the same as the torpedo, but with your arms stretched in front of you. I was so proud. Our plan is to go every day to the pool until Ave is a champion swimmer. Luckily, I feel this is achievable, as the final phase in our discovering Columbia trend is complete mastery. Through trial and error, we will figure out everything we need to know, even if we have to contend with a few sour-faced individuals along the way. Avey the English Teacher Our original plan, coming down to Columbia, was that Avey would teach English. I'll tutor university students and help edit their English papers, she said with enthusiasm. Maybe we'll make some friends too. This was not to be. First, university ended for the holidays. Then we discovered that English tutors make about as much money as the people who break dance for cars at stoplights. A thing that is super common here, despite the fact that I've never seen a single person give them any money. So instead, Avey started teaching Chinese people. Apparently, there is a huge demand for English teachers in China. Right now, almost anyone can sign up online and start teaching over Skype. To quote a fellow foreigner we met, Mate, this wanker I know called Cody has that job and he can hardly speak English himself. So far, Avey likes it. She works two to three hours a day, usually starting at 6 a.m. The commute from the bed to the desk isn't too much of a hassle, and as long as she's presentable from the waist up, everyone is happy. She jokes and laughs with the little Chinese kids, and when she has adults, they usually end up having interesting conversations. The students seem to like her, though I've always said her special skill is putting people at ease. I'm often in the room while she's teaching, usually sleeping, and so get to listen to her loudly repeat simple sentences multiple times. In addition to brushing up on my grammar, I've also noticed something about her students. For some reason, over half of them are named Tony. When they sign up for the program, the students get to choose their own English name. Despite having literally millions to choose from, Tony has become the landslide option. I don't know why Chinese kids love the name Tony, but it sure has made its way over there. To me, it conjures up images of some brusque New Yorker. Hey, I'm walking in. My name's Tony! Which contrasts when you see a happy little Chinese kid drinking a juice box singing a song about penguins. Avey teaches with headphones on, so I only get her side of the conversation. I'm sure that if I could hear what they were saying, my stories, and my Chinese accent, would become a lot funnier. For her efforts, Avey's paid $20 US for each hour. This makes us nearly millionaires by Colombian standards. It's also a huge bonus for me because it means that she can stay here in Colombia. I'm considering teaching English too. Right now I'm spending all my time writing, which is fantastic, and I don't really need any extra money. Though I would like to buy a Tesla electric car. Until then, Avey will be waking up early and teaching Tonys all over China how to speak English. The guy who wasn't allowed to bring his mangoes into the stadium. There was once a guy who wasn't allowed to bring his mangoes into the stadium. I didn't actually hear this conversation, I observed it from a distance. 
but I feel that his body language was easily translatable. Ah, these mangoes are so good. He had bought the $1 bag of mangoes from the fruit seller in the courtyard below. The mangoes are cut up into long strips and stuffed into a plastic bag, so it looks like the person is eating long yellow snakes. It's a real bargain. I guess there are at least three or four big fat mangoes in that bag. I sure am glad I bought this bag of mangoes to eat while I watched the marching band competition. Yum! I watched him approach the entrance. Hello, security guard. Mm -mm, no. The security guard stepped out and waggled his finger. That's what we call a no-go situation in this business. What? He held up his mangoes. You mean my mangoes? I most certainly do. His finger was still going back and forth. Mango, no-go. It's easy to remember because it rhymes. But why? The security guard mimed holding a bag over his head, liquid gushing from the bottom, and him getting soaked and upset. Because the juices from the bags drips on people's heads. This was the obvious translation. The man held up his bag and ran his hand along the bottom in disbelief. But it's perfectly dry. Mango, no-go. The guard pointed over to where I was eating my bag of mangoes. Go eat it with that guy. He made the same mistake you did. He looked over at me. I was stuffing strip after strip of the fruit into my mouth, foolishly hoping I could eat the entire bag before intermission ended. I don't want to stand over there with that handsome guy and eat this entire bag of mangoes. That's how you get diarrhea for three days straight. Don't ask me how I know this. Sorry, bud, those are the rules. Do I need to say it again? No, and I would like to say once more that this is ridiculous. I didn't make up the rhyme. Mango, no-go. It's effective because it's got everything you need to know in three words. The guy walked away and paced a few times in front of the entrance. He did not look happy. While pacing, another unlucky sap came up to the entrance and was also denied. The guard pointed over to me and the pacing man. Go join those guys. They made the same dumb mistake you did. The latest guy stood next to me and started stuffing mangoes into his face, perhaps inspired by my example. A girl then walked up, happily munching on the fruit, and was also turned away. This was the last straw for the angry guy. He threw his hands up and marched down to where he'd bought the fruit. Meanwhile, the girl slipped the mangoes into her purse and walked in, immediately pulling them out and munching mere feet away from the guard. Here! The man, now down at the fruit stand, thrust his bag into the next customer's hand. Take mine! I didn't eat any of it! But why, good sir? The potential customer probably said. Is something the matter? Yeah, something's the matter. You can't take this fruit into that stadium. I spent good money on this snack and have been denied enjoying it while viewing the event I came for. He shook his head and turned to the mango man. You should be ashamed of yourself. Do you realize your snack is not allowed inside? I have a feeling you do. Why are you even here? He flailed his arms in exasperation and marched away. Good luck for me, free mangoes, the potential customer said. The man walked again to the entrance. He held his hands up and waved his fingers at the guard. Happy now? I got rid of the mangoes. The guard nodded. Indeed I am, sir. Enjoy the battle of the marching bands. The man glared at him. I'll try. He then walked in. I looked down at my own bag. It was still a quarter full. Let's just put it in my purse and take it in, Ave said. 
Oh, yeah, I guess that's an option. The security guard never saw it coming. Ave and the Urban Myth Yeah, the hostel's a bit noisy. Ave waved dismissively. But just put your earbuds in at night and you won't hear any of that. Well, I said, I don't really want to sleep with my earphones in anymore. Why? I read this thing online the other day. We were walking down a country road trying to find a coffee farm that did tours. This guy was backpacking around South America, you know, doing the usual thing. But when he came home, he started acting strange. He became all depressed and angry, and he was apparently a super happy guy. So eventually he starts having really bad headaches, and after a bunch of tests, they get him a brain scan. I turned to Ave. Turns out, there were bugs inside his head, eating his brain. What? Yeah, they traced it back to his earphones. He had those ones with the hollow part to let the bass reverberate. I pulled mine out and showed her. This guy left them out and something crawled in there and laid its eggs. I stuffed my headphones back into my pocket. The poor guy slept with them in, so when those eggs hatched, there was only one way to go. I pointed in my ear. I'm sure it's super rare, but I'm not going to let it happen to me. Ave had stopped walking. That's crazy. Yeah... Yeah, I, I also just made it up. What? I just made it up. Ave's mouth dropped open. No, you didn't. Yeah, I laughed. It came to me in the shower this morning. I thought I'd try it out on you and see if it's believable. It's so believable. She punched my arm. Don't make stuff up and test it out on me. I'll probably write a story about it, I told her as we started walking again. If you'd posted that online, I guarantee my mom would eventually send it back to me. That's exactly the kind of thing she sends me. She shook her head. That's how those rumors get started. Yeah, I could probably start an urban myth. You gotta be careful about what you hear. And there you go, the first episode. I hope it helped to entertain and break a sweat. Thanks for listening. And I'll see you next time on Stories to Run To.